0: This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 213 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Brady and I'm joined this time just by David. It's The two-man pod is back one more time. Loaded schedule to talk about this week. Uh, obviously, we had the news that Del McGee was going to be the new Georgia state head coach that we touched on on last week's pod part one. And this week we got Del McGee's opening press conference as Georgia state head coach, as well as, as of today, as we recorded this podcast news of all 10 of his planned hires to fill out his first full-time coaching staff. So we will cover all of that on the football side, as well as putting a bow on the regular season for the men's and women's basketball teams, as they now get ready to head to Pensacola, Florida for the conference tournament next week. And maybe glimmer of hope from the baseball team, the bus lot boys, winners of their first two in Cullowee against Western Carolina, the third game pending as we record this podcast, but we will have thoughts on baseball as well. But there's only one place to start this week. Del McGee, the new head coach of Georgia State, officially made so on Monday at a press conference at Center Park Stadium I was there. I've obviously got takes on what I got from that, uh, press conference and little media breakout session after, but David, your initial thoughts from the official, it is here. Del McGee is Georgia State's head coach, and we got to press her to prove it on Monday. We certainly did. Um, and it, I, there was a moment this week
1: um, I saw, I think it was during the James Madison basketball game. Um, obviously, like they announced him. Uh, what, no, I think they announced. Did they announce him at the Marshall game? He I was there, they, Marshall. Yeah, which, it was the Marshall game.
0: So. Note on that to log later for basketball talk, but. For sure. Keep going.
1: Um, uh, I think it was after they announced him and uh the voice did like, you know, whenever there's a new coach, you gotta get the halftime interview of the basketball game. Um and I think that was when it really hit me. In the press conference, it didn't really hit me that, you know, obviously there's a new coach for Georgia State football. Um you know, press conferences are always fun. You know, sometimes you get little nuggets. Sometimes you don't really get a lot.
0: They're um, incredibly easy to win, but it's still something you can point to be like, look, they won the press conference and it's the real excitement. And I think I think it's OK to acknowledge
1: that. And to answer the question about what I thought, I mean, I, per- I personally didn't care too much about the way that Georgia State recruits Metro Atlanta. I know that is a very big point of emphasis for a lot of people. Um, I think obviously it's good. It's good to get good players. And there's a lot of good players in Metro Atlanta. That's how I will say that. Um, I liked how he came right out and said, like, you know, this is like, this is where we're going to have our recruiting focus. Like we are going to try to, you know, really. It, it was kind of the same thing that coach uh, Jonas Hayes said when he got hired um, at the beginning of 20 er, before the 2022 basketball season you know it's there's a lot of talent in atlanta that's something that we have a lot of, we have a lot of relationships with the head the high school coaches with some of the position coaches um in those rinks we know a ton of people we've recruited them well before we are going to continue to focus on that and continue to try to build i don't want to say pipeline because that sounds a little hokey but I mean, in, a, in a essence, it kind of is, you know.
0: He uh, said lock arms, which was not like we're going to sign every single good player in Georgia, but it also was not like we're going to ignore it. It was nice middle ground there, like n- committal to it being a priority, but not like over-promising, you know, the Trent Miles fencing company and all of that stuff. Uh, middle ground answer there while clearly making the point that, like, this was going to be the bread and butter of their recruiting. They're going to care about high school sp- specifically, And in metro Atlanta and the state of Georgia, even more than that.
1: And I mean, I think, you know, there are some people out there who might roll their eyes and, you know, find that pandering. But I agree with you. Like, that's it, it's such a nice middle ground to strike in that way because it, you're right. You're not going to get every single three-star that happens to play football in the Metro Atlanta area. That's just not that's not practical. But if you're winning those battles with teams like the App States, the Coastals, like those kids should not be staying in the conference and going to other schools, you know. So... I did enjoy that part of the press conference and, you know, just seems like a guy who's excited to be here. And I think this is not a reflection on coach Elliot. It's just nice to see somebody excited to be here. I think coach Elliot was also plenty excited to be um, in Atlanta. And it was just nice to see that coach McGee also seems excited to be here.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think on that point, McGee will have a lot of people rooting for him out of the gate especially you know, your season ticket holder booster types that bleed blue because you know whether the appearance of you know Sean Elliott not moving his family down to Atlanta recruiting South Carolina whether any of that meant he wasn't actually excited about being your state head coach I think it matters that there's a coach coming out here calling Atlanta the best city in the country and making clear of how much of an importance recruiting in Atlanta is going to be for those people who like it's okay to want your coach to be that. And while I think that like the legacy of Sean Elliott as the head coach is muddied currently. I think over time, people will probably settled into, you know, the positives that he did bring and the consistency and all that we talked about when we kind of broke down it on, broke it down on the emergency pod back when he left. But I think that there's certainly something to be said about how all in he already seems to be. And Speaking of that, and speaking of a guy who has a plan and did his homework, he talked about that team down south when he referenced his time coaching with Willie Fitz down in Statesboro. And clearly a man who knew the words to say to immediately make clear to the fan base he had done his homework. Uh, And also along those lines, the thing that stood out to me from the press conference was he talked about NIL. And he talked about it in terms of like when he had spoken with Kirby Smart, Georgia's head coach, about this is an opportunity he was looking to take he made it clear, he was like, I know if I get good players, you're going to come and try and take them. And it's going to be the case with a lot of the power conference teams, especially in the new forming power two, a dynamic that's really played against Georgia State over the last couple of off seasons. But he also made clear that he had a plan where he wants to, and these were his words, keep the big guys away. And he wants to reach out to the 6 million Atlanta population, the 16 to 2014 fortune 500 companies in city limits. And also, and this was the part that I found most interesting, what he called quote unquote, Dell McGee supporters from his time in Athens that he felt that they could lean on to help and build out the NIL a little bit more. And so I don't think you're going to have someone who can come in and just fix losing players. Like it is just the new dynamic for group of five schools in college football that, These power teams are going to come calling and it's going to be hard to keep everyone. But he's making an effort both to, here's what we're going to do to make it better and lose less of these guys. And I'm sure that was a big factor of why he ended up winning the job with AD Charlie Cobb and President Blake was having a plan for that. And as far reaching as it sounded and how involved it felt like he was going to be in that part of it, but also coming in and knowing what reality is. Like, I think the worst thing if you're going to hire a position coach from Georgia, the elite of the elite in college football right now, is having a guy come in and not recognize that, like, this is a major difference. Like, he is walking into a different athletic department reality, football program reality. And right now, just based off of this press conference, it feels like he gets that. And again, kind of in the middle ground, answer perfect where you'd want him to be, where it's like, Yes, it's going to be a challenge, and I know what I'm facing. But I've got an idea of how we can make it better. And putting a, you know, wrapping it back to the recruiting thing, I think a lot of people would say if you're going to recruit some Metro Atlanta kids and make that up as a bigger portion of the roster, that's also going to help with retaining good players. If you foster all those relationships and everything about Del McGee that we've heard as an assistant, both at Georgia Southern, Georgia, and even his time as a high school coach in Columbus, Georgia, that. He's a player's coach, and so I think he's probably betting that he can help retain more players than not by building a good environment, competitive environment, a winning environment that kids want to stay a part of. And the NIL piece is another part of it. Sounds like he is fully prepared to hit the ground running in that regard as well. So that will certainly be interesting to follow and maybe more of an offseason situation. We'll have to check back in as we are into the December times, which spelt doom for Georgia state in the portal last couple of off seasons and see, see what really does change. But he has an, an idea of how to fix that growing concern for the G five level. And I think that is an encouraging thing out of the presser.
1: I mean, yeah, like that's what you want, right? You don't want a guy who's going to come up here and, and I don't, I'm not talking about the press conference. I'm talking about, you know, real life you don't want a guy who's going to come up here and kind of continue to let players leave because there's there's certainly schools that have had good players stay like top of conference players stay in this current market and I know that we it's still a couple of years old you know it's still the NIL the transfer portal era but there are still teams that you know run it back so to speak um, and I I I like how much attention he is trying to seem that he wants to put into this, because I think it's really important. I really do like keeping, you don't have to keep everybody. I'm not saying that that's possible because again, we're talking about, you know, 18 to 22 year olds who want to do various things, have their own motivations and, you know, this, that, and the other. But, you know, if you, if you've got like a roster with 15 guys who are, you know, maybe go, maybe stay and you end up keeping 10 of them, 12 of them, that's good, and that's not something that Georgia State has been able to say the last couple of years. I don't know what the number is. It seems like it is probably higher than – I believe it was
0: 22 the last
1: two offseasons. Right, exactly. So that's – regardless of what the potential number of like, I don't know if I'm going to transfer, you know, decision guys, at the end of the day, you're averaging 11 losses, you know – 11 uh, lost side of the ball. Each just cycle. Gone. <laughs> like exactly. That is an entire side of the ball gone in what off season in and, back-to-back off season.
0: And here's the other part of it that I think if you have a critique of how Sean Elliott handled it, I think he did a better job as the years went on of using the portal and this off season, obviously they added a lot of guys from Georgia from Atlanta high schools who are going to come back, who are going to be on the roster now with a new head coach but there was a way that he handled the portal where he almost like just wouldn't say players' names after they left. And it felt like if they gave any kind of inkling they were interested in leaving, he'd kind of just be like, all right, thank you for your time. And didn't really, I, part of it probably was not fighting a losing battle, but I think there's something to be said about. I think Dell's going to come in and not nearly give up on those type of departures as soon as it appeared Sean Elliott did. Now, I don't know what type of behind-the-scenes wrangling did go on to keep these guys, but from how he handled them post-departure in the media, it didn't feel like a thing where it seemed like he was like, you're all in or you're not all in a little bit with some of these guys that were choosing to leave. And I feel like that also will not be the case with Coach McGee. And that will also, I think, lend themselves to maybe keeping a couple more guys. I think it's, you know, if you're building that, culture. You're trying to keep guys in, build all the... And the winning is probably going to have to be a part of that. It's another part of it that might be different with a new head coach in charge, just based on everything we can glean from this point. The other thing we can glean at this point, it's not official from the university, but Dell seems to have his staff in place already. We figured it would move pretty quickly because of the nature of when this move happened. And you know, spring practice is not that far off and he'd want to have it in ASAP. But... As of reporting from various sources, you know, Matt Zenitz at 24-7 Sports doing the heaviest lifting on this, breaking a lot of these hirings for 24-7. We have a list of the guys that we believe are going to be the 10 full-time assistants for Georgia State next year on Del McGee's first staff. And I'll run through them and their previous postings real quick, and then we can kind of break them out into a couple of different groups that I see them in, but... The offensive coordinator is a name that will be familiar to people who have been following college football over the past decade. Jim Chaney, who was the Georgia offensive coordinator in Del McGee's first three years as an assistant at Georgia. He's last been at uh, Texas A&M in an analyst role. Uh, Quarterbacks coach, Ryan Williams, who was an analyst at uh, UGA the last few seasons, working with the quarterbacks and the uh, wide receivers at various times. The newest news that broke today as we recorded it to fill out the uh, 10 spots. Will Healy, familiar name to listeners for sure, former head coach at Austin P and Charlotte, and this past season, the assistant to the head coach and senior offensive analyst at UCF. Wide receivers coach, I believe, listed when the news broke as offensive assistant, but wide receivers feels like he's going to end up coaching there. Damian Craig, who has spent the last six seasons as the wide receivers coach at Texas A&M and had been at FSU in Auburn before then, he played alongside Del McGee at Auburn. Uh, the offensive line coach, Manry St. Amour, who was the assistant offensive line coach at UGA this past season, has been an assistant there the last couple of years, and also played for rival Georgia Southern uh, back in 2011 to 2014 times, was all Sunbelt on that first Willie Fritz team in the Sunbelt in 14. On the defensive side of the ball, you got Kevin Shearer, was is co-DC, and linebackers coach and was the acting DC for the final eight games of the season for Georgia tech last season, Jeremy Hawkins defensive line coach. He held the same position as well as the title of run game coordinator at Eastern Kentucky at the FCS level, the past four seasons Uh, inside linebackers coach uh, we hear is going to be Jawan Taylor, who is a Georgia linebacker and has been the assistant director of player development there in an off field role the last few seasons. Defensive backs coach Jeremiah Wilson is an analyst at Auburn this past season and has spent time as a DBs coach at Akron and Chattanooga, as well as being an analyst at Florida State and Tennessee under Jeremy Pruitt. And then rounding out the staff, Carter Blunt, special teams coordinator. Georgia State will once again have a special teams coordinator as a standalone role. He has been special teams analyst across the SEC. Been at Alabama, been at LSU, and this past season he was at Georgia Tech as a senior special teams analyst. So, a mix of real SEC SEC gravitas, some young young up and comers that are going to be on the on the staff, and I mean everything screams everything we've heard from Dell that like this is going to be a staff that's going to be all about the recruiting, and I think it is about as good as a, a list of names you could have hoped for a really nice blend i feel for this first staff
1: yeah this is crazy i mean today is march 3rd and georgia state just made a hire for their head football coach you know the transfer portal is closed for you know acquiring players a lot of guys that are getting that change jobs has have changed jobs um and yet i feel like They've just knocked both the head coach and the staff out of the park. I mean, like you said, listen to just how much SEC experience this coaching staff has. And I'm not saying, you know, Vanderbilt is in the SEC. I'm not saying that everybody who has SEC experience is going to translate and be successful either elsewhere or it even was good experience. I'm not saying that, but I will say on paper, I don't know that you could have developed a better staff given the timeline of all of this. And I know that, you know, getting a good head coach is a little bit more difficult at this time of year than, you know, filling out your staff. But I mean, it's still it's March. Guys have already started recruiting if they change jobs or, you know, even if they didn't change jobs, the recruiting cycle for 2024
0: has more or less ended. There, you know, there's gonna be some movement, but it's not gonna be a top- Fair amount of guys still out there. As Adele pointed out when I asked him about his recruiting plan, he's like, there's still guys out there in twenty twenty four we're gonna look at. I'm I'm sure people that all these guys have been in contact with in their current jobs there's going to be some feelers like, "Hey, Georgia State, now Are you interested?" Right, exactly. And it's
1: just, I, I could not have asked for a better staff. You know, obviously that's not my purview, but you know, it's just you can really tell the quality um, from the experience that has been put together, and you really hope that it translates into you know a lot of success.
0: Yeah. So I mentioned the little categories that I kind of roped these staffers into, and the blend I was talking about. You can kind of put Chaney, Scherer and Craig into like a category of like SEC or power conference lifers. Like they've been in those situations last decade and certainly know what an SEC football program runs like, which Dell's made clear is, yeah, I I don't think it's like expecting to run it exactly like George is able to, but I think he has a certain way in mind of how he's going to approach practice, approach game prep, approach everything that, he's got a staff in place that knows how to manage that. And, and those are kind of the linchpins in that sort of the aspect of it. You've also got Blunt, the special teams coordinator, Hawkins, on D-line coach, and the secondary coach, Wilson, who have real experience as position coaches at, at this level and at lower levels of the FCS, but also have spent quite a few years themselves off the field in those power conference buildings. So again, another group of guys that have applicable experience doing the job they're being asked to do and also have been in those sec buildings to know kind of what Dell wants to do and wants to instill. And so even as there's going to be a real quick attempt to install an offense in the defense here in spring practice and a lot of moving parts to be determined, his staff is all basically going to know what he's going to want to do and have experience done it before. And I think that that was an important part of what he wanted to bring in and then you move into what I'd call the UGA wing for obvious reasons. You've got Ryan Williams, Joan Taylor and Manry St. Amour who all followed Nagy from Georgia all on off field roles, all young guys. I don't know their ages exactly, but sub 35 is the, you know, the safe sub 30 even is the safe estimate. there. guys that he's been in the building with the last few years and obviously sees some potential in. And so they're, is some projection to do there with those guys. But I think you're safe making that, especially as we talked about with the just floor of experience, the other staffers that they brought in give you. And then the last category, which we didn't know was a thing until today because he wasn't rumored to be the coach until today. But I think it's important that Dell's got Will Healy, a former head coach. On staff, and when I'd put out the original, my idea of like a hypothetical what the staff could look like, I had Chad Lunsford on there, the former Georgia Southern coach, with kind of the same idea that it's good to have a sounding board of a guy who sat in your seat before, because there's so much on head coaches' plates, and you know, obviously he did not have a lot of success at Charlotte, when took them to a, a bowl game, I believe, and ended up being fired in the middle of the 2022 season. He had success at Austin P and like whatever you want to level of success or not, just having that experience as someone you can talk to in the room and be, I mean, based on his resume, a pretty overqualified running backs coach uh, is a good thing to have to round out the staff. It kind of felt like it would make a lot of sense for there to be someone on the staff who's been a head coach before and right at the bell with the final name that we've heard for the final spot that we knew was going to be open. He got that. And so all of them, you feel like are going to jump in recruiting wise, except maybe Chaney, who's really been more of a, a play caller type. But again, kind of in the same vein of it's good to have a a head coach on staff. I think it's great for Dell to have a guy in Chaney who I don't know how long-term he's going to be at Georgia state. Like it just doesn't feel like the guy that you signed to be your OC for the entire time. Just he's in his sixties. He's been coaching a while, but with a spring install coming very quickly with less practices than you normally have for a spring, because they had already started before Sean Elliott left. You've got a guy who Dell's just going to trust to totally run, install everything, the offense. And on Saturdays when they're playing, he can handle all of that stuff. And Dell can do his CEO, all that he's going to do running it like a CEO. And so, talked about, you know, Dell feeling like a guy who's got a plan. And I think his staff kind of signals that for sure.
1: Yeah. The Healy edition, I agree with you, um, regards, regarding that one simply because we've seen time and time again, some guys who have gotten promoted to being a head coach and then they never have somebody who has that specific experience. Cause it's, you know, everybody has different styles, for sure, but just there's something about being the head, call, you know, the head signal man or the CEO, like you said, that you know having somebody on your staff who has got experience doing that, that that can be very important. That can be a very useful tool to help kind of smooth over some if you ever have issues or you know when you don't have experience with something. So definitely a good addition there. And I mean, I I think you're right. I I'm not sure. To what degree that Cheney's going to still be here? Um, you know, but you got to ride the wave while you can, right?
0: And the thing we know about his offenses and Dell McGee's background, the Panther Express is still totally like, we haven't gotten all that much scheme information. You know, Dell talked about in his press conference, like the importance of turnover margin and, you know, both sides of that you know that he you know a defense that is ball hawkish and getting those turnover turnovers and how he said he was going to be the ball security police with his offensive guys you know like make sure they are not turning it over that's about the depth of what we got I think he threw the spread in there which if you got your coach press conference bingo card every coach always said says spread when they're asked about what their offense is going to look like my vibe right now just based on what I've seen from Jim Cheney's offense is probably something more pro-style-y, but we'll see how that plays out. But the other part of this, and and this is kind of a when you're looking at the Del McGee hire as a whole and also the staffers he's added. If Georgia State comes out of the gate well the first two seasons and puts a bunch of wins on the board, whatever number you want to put on it, if Del McGee might be a hot name for other head coaching jobs at the power conference level, and even if that doesn't happen... There's a few of these assistants that if this team looks well and if that position group looks well, they're gonna get looked at now that they've got some experience at the G5 level, getting another job. You know, I mentioned those UGA guys. It feels like might be some rising star potential in there, also in the group with Hawkins and Wilson that are still young coaches building out their resumes. But I think Georgia State fans, football program at large, everyone should be comfortable with that idea that. This might be temporary if they're good, but in the current state of college football, I mean, ask James Madison if it's okay that you just lost Kurt Signetti because you just put on two hells of a season back-to-back with him as head coach, and guess what? Your staff got poached, and your players, other programs, including Indiana, where Signetti ended up are interested in, it's just the reality for G5 schools. You have to be comfortable making a hire that, guess what? If it goes well, might hurt you in a couple years, but... If it does, you might have, you know, a ten win season, whatever, Sunbelt title to make you feel better about it. And I think that that was something I had meant to even mention when we talked about the hire originally, but makes sense to have held off on it because it also applies to assistants. You know, there might be guys that don't last on the staff very long because they're gonna be popular next off season or off season after that. But I think you've got to be okay with that as a Georgia State fan. I mean, you want to be, right? Like the
1: whole point is to get to the success point. And unlike Signetti and uh, James Madison, Georgia State is always eligible for the Sun Belt championship game. So, you know, I bet you if they had the same season that James Madison had the last couple of years, it's, you know, they could actually go play for the reward.
0: So we will wait to see the official stuff on that Um at this point, it feels like it's just going to be a tranche of just one press release with all these hires because they all came at once and you don't have to wait around for any anything else. But uh one other thing with football to squeeze in, um, might have forgotten about it when I was prepping this, but we got a football schedule. We got a full 12-game schedule this week. Georgia State playing eight games in the Sun Belt to go along with their previously known non-conference schedule, opening a Georgia Tech hosting FCS Chattanooga on September 7th, followed by Vanderbilt on September the 24th, uh, September the 14th, sorry. And the other game we knew was they were playing at UConn on November the 2nd, a couple months later. And now we know the rest of it. Um, I will run through the schedule for you now. Um, They've got buys on either side of their conference opener, September 28th versus rival Georgia Southern, another new weekend for that game. She never stays in one place. Um, And then on October 12th against Old Dominion. They will close out what ends up being a four-game home stand and get ready for a four-game road trip because after that they head on Thursday, October 17th to play Marshall, then they head to Boone on October 26th and they'll play Appalachian State on the road. The aforementioned game against UConn the first weekend of November and then they will close out that four-game daunting road trip in Harrisonburg against the Dukes of James Madison that we were just talking about before closing out the season. Back-to-back against their Sunbelt West crossover games, November 16th, Arkansas State at home at Texas State in San Marcos on November 23rd, and then GASP, a senior day on the final game of the season, a home game in the final two weeks of the regular season. Georgia State will close out against Coastal Carolina on November 30th with the Sunbelt. Championship game scheduled for the following Saturday on December 7th, and so... Flash reactions to the full schedule, which came out on Friday, David.
1: Uh, one, I didn't know that we had double buys in college football now. So that was yeah, my new initial thing. one. New um, thing. Which I, th- I don't think Georgia State's is this year is good i think it is a good thing if that
0: makes sense um yeah, other than that two buys in three weeks not necessarily and not having a buy for the final eight weeks of the season not how you would draw it up yeah and also
1: specifically because they're that is going to be the second game sorry the third game of a Actually, I'm going to say this a different way because they're obviously staying in Atlanta to play Georgia Tech. So, like Georgia State yeah. is not leaving the state of Georgia in any capacity, city
0: until, limits, even. Yeah,
1: city limits even until October 17th. So, having two buys when every night is just going to be in you know, the, their own, wherever it is that the players live. And also the other thing that I notice about the schedule, which is related to this is there's only one midweek game this year.
0: Um Every other game is on Saturday. Um, I can't tell if I like that or I don't like that but, for now you know. possible. There'd be a flex, but I don't remember the rules exactly on that. And I don't, at this point, we can't say for like, yeah, obviously they're going to flex this game to a, a Thursday, put on national TV because we don't know what the teams are going to look like. Less, least of all Georgia State with a new coach. That's also fair, um,
1: but yeah, it's just the two buys where they are, you know, it's very weird. But I think the schedule is good. I mean, you know, it's the same thing we've said the last few years. You play football in the Sun Belt East; it's always going to be tough. I mean, it's a year where you're going at Boone and at. Harrisonburg, so you know that certainly isn't fun. But then you also have you're hosting Southern this year. At some point a home team is gonna win. You're hosting Coastal Carolina and it's senior day. Um
0: I know. don't think we can be definitive about that, but logically you're right that eventually a home team is going to win in that matchup. That's but true. at this point it's starting to feel less and less certain. It's it's it just feels like it just the the whole deal with this series. Um, and I will
1: say about the Sunbelt West crossover, um, not only do I think Georgia state got the worst of the draws because I think Texas state was a little bit better than Arkansas state. Um, but there is some lovely Sunbelt news over the last like week or so, um, that Texas state out of absolutely nowhere, um, have, a new quarterback. Let's let's just say so. Going on the road in the second to last week of the season uh, is going to be tough for Georgia State.
0: Yeah, James Madison quarterback in 2023, Jordan McLeod is committed to Texas State. And so GJ Kinney, after really fumbling both TJ Finley and then Jaden Delora, who you got Delora to commit to Texas State, apparently didn't let Finley know, and Finley was like, "I don't love that. I'm going to go to Western Kentucky." And it felt like like how did you manage this total bungling of what oh, was a great quarterback situation without even getting Delora there? Like Finley was great for them last season. They might have upgraded and gotten the best of all three of them just because McLeod, Sunbelt Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year, whichever it was, really good player this year to Sunbelt level. And now he's going to do it for quarterback, guru, offensive scoring fest, Bobcats. And like you say, it's on the road. Uh Right at the end of the season, definitely not, uh, probably one of the worst draws you could have gotten. That being the road game, that being the team you play, because I don't think you could say anyone else is the favored right now in the West. I think just because Troy's got a coaching change, I'm sure they're not going anywhere, but with all that they have in flux and what they lost on the coaching and the player side, like tie goes to, even if it's a tie in your mind, the team that just added the conference player of the year and already scored 50 bajillion points anyway last year to begin with. So I think, you know, you look at it, the turnaround with Marshall on five days is not great. But I will say this about that game going from Saturday to Thursday. Old Dominion, sorry, not Old Dominion, Marshall is at Georgia Southern on that Saturday. October 12th. And so if you want to get technical, I know they will end up playing a home game. So it might work out like normal for them anyway, but Marshall technically is a further to travel and get ready for that uh, Thursday game than Georgia state does. Cause they will be further down the state in Georgia playing on that Thursday, um, that Saturday before the Thursday night game. And then you do get nine days off before app state. They're coming off a bye, but you're coming off like a, a half bye. So if that game is still the one fans have circled, As like, we got to get this one done. You got to end this offer after doing with Louisiana last year. Coming off the little half by there gives you at least the most, it's more than just seven days or it's not a five day turnaround to get up to Boone this time. So I guess you got to make the most of it there. And, you know, I, I think what helps or, you know, what will help is yes, this four game road trip, the mid late part of the season is daunting, but I think we'll have a pretty good idea of what this team is like by that point. And so it might be like a, yeah, they're ready for this real test. Or it might be a, well, this is, this year's not going great. And this is not the time for it, but kind of have an idea of how this is going to go. And so I think with the games they're playing and like who they've got in their schedule ahead of the road trip from hell, which I, I can't remember a four game road trip on any Georgia state schedule before we'll probably know what the 2024 Panthers are going to look like by that point. And so well, I still think at that point, we're going to be like, man, this, this is rough. Um, it might be in the, the tone of like, well, they're already going to be iffy for a bowl or whatever it might be. So much ahead of us is on the football side. But now we know the, the dates they're going to play, how, how the sequence lines up. And the other side of that coin is you do get, like David talked about, basically a month and a half where you don't go anywhere. And you got to make that count as far as getting consistent home attendance, building up some wins, maybe getting some momentum going in the early going with Dallas head coach. And that opportunity does exist for you just as much as the, uh, four game road trip exists in a more negative way.
1: At the very least, you know, and obviously I haven't done, you know, too much digging into what all of these teams have either lost or gained as far as the transfer portal. Um, at the very least I can say, I think this is at least a bowling team for Georgia State. Like I see, can be.
0: I see the path to be a like comfortable bowling team. Honestly, I mean, they can't. Like we don't know what James Madison is going to look like under Bob Chesney, but I, I think given what they've shown these last two seasons, it'd be only fair to give them the benefit of the doubt. App State won the conference or won the division this past season. They've been doing that since they got here. Give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't think you can give me a straight like Georgia state is worse than anyone else in the, the league or in that side of the league, at least anyway, like they could certainly be last in the conference and like it's a year zero year one situation for Dell. But I just, at, at this point, I'm not willing to really concede that they're for sure worse than your Marshalls, your old dominions, your Georgia Southerns. And for that reason, if you're winning a handful of those games, you win the games, you shoot in the non-conference. Like you say, that could very easily add up six wins. You know, I think the biggest thing looming is just kind of what the offense looks like. The quarterback situation looks like, is it steady with Zach Gibson now, or are they going to bring it in another person after spring practice that, you know, Jim Chaney and the offensive brain trust are more interested in seeing as the, you know, whatever they envisions the quarterback, you know, a lot of pieces up in the air. And that's before we even have had a single spring practice under Del McGee and his staff. But we know the schedule now and the, uh, Looking forward to seeing how it plays out. And I think the game starting out with Georgia Tech took on a lot more interest with this hire because aside from you've got Georgia uh, Georgia fans invested in Del McGee at Georgia State now and seeing, oh, they're playing Tech first. Like, I'm going to definitely be watching that one. I think you got more eyeballs from Georgia State adjacent people and Georgia State fans who maybe were a little bit tired of how things were going under Sean Elliott that there's a new coach and look, his first game is one of those opportunities in the state of Georgia to really make some noise. And so uh, that still ends up being the takeaway is just not to be a coach about it and just be like, we're focused on the first game, but like the Georgia, De- the Georgia Tech game does go into more focus at this point. And I think there's a lot of excitement now. Win or loss, just that game approaching brings a lot of excitement. Well, 37 minutes in, a lot of football talk. We still got... The end of seasons with the basketball teams to talk about and the first preview of what Pensacola and Sunbelt Tournament is going to look like for them. So start on the men's side, probably the one-in-one one week everyone basically expected. They lose 84-78 to James Madison on Wednesday and on Friday, senior day. They close it out on good terms. They beat Marshall, closing it out in the end, just barely 82-79 and what was a pretty defense-optional-esque game. Uh, the final record for the Panthers and Jonas Hayes' second regular season is 14-16, and 8-10 in the Sun Belt. So for the second straight year, losing regular season, it'll basically take winning the Sun Belt Tournament to get a winning record. Um, disappointment, I think, but starting with the JMU game, you're talking about the record, you're talking about the disappointment. I think they played them pretty well. And I think this isn't the loss that irks you. The loss that irks you is that you lost to Northern Illinois, who is kind of totally had everything snowball for them in MAC play. I think they're 10 and 18 uh, right now. That was the game you lost early in the season. You lost to Coastal Carolina. You lost to Georgia Southern. You lost to Texas State. And that one was at home. If they even flip half of those results, you know, they're looking at winning record. And that at least feel like more like progress. But... I thought they gave James Madison a lot. It was just kind of the same thing with the first game. You know, they gave up that 17-0 run to start. And in this one, it was in the second half. They got outscored 22-8 in what you'd call the third quarter, the first 10 minutes of the second half. And they got down by 22. And while they put in a lot of effort in to come back and, and try and make that a game and got it as close as four a couple of times, you got to head off that run before it gets to a 21-point deficit. Because that's just asking so much of yourselves to get all the way back and tie the game or take the lead.
1: James Madison's tough, man. That's a really, really good basketball team. Um, Selfishly, I'm very excited for the Sunbelt tournament because, you know, unless some weird stuff happens, the Date between James Madison and App State is going to be some very, very fun basketball. And App State's beaten them twice. Uh, And it's really hard to beat a team a third time. Um, So this is going to be a really fun basketball game. Um, As far as the Georgia State game, I mean, I can't remember to what I said specifically, but... That was a good first half, man. It was the exact opposite of the game that they played in Harrisonburg. You know, there was no opening 17-0 run. Georgia State, you know, did the thing where they start slowly a little bit, uh, but they met James Madison exactly where they wanted to be. Um, And it's unfortunate that the second half got away from Georgia State. You know, I mean, like I just said, James Madison is a really good basketball team and, you know, good teams go on runs like that. That's and that's not to say that Georgia State couldn't have played better. They certainly could have. um, But. It's just it was so close in the first half. It was really, really not a situation where James Madison was just playing, you know, supremely better than Georgia State. I think James Madison hit their shots in the second half and Georgia State stopped hitting their shots. Um, You know, duh. I think in the first half, Georgia State from the floor was what, 48 percent, you know, second half, 28 percent. That's that's not going to win you many basketball games, you know. Um, So it's. It's one of those things where it's it's really hard. They
0: broke 40 in the first half in both games this week.
1: They did, yes. It, it's one of those things where it's really hard to get upset. Um, it's really hard to get upset about the effort and just the way that this game played. Um, I think, you know, the other thing, too, is... Georgia State was doing a lot of different things offensively that, you know, was kind of the culmination of some stuff that we've seen just throughout the year. I mean, they got to the free throw line a ton. You know, they, I think they, they hit their threes pretty well, you know, 37% from three. it's, It's a good number. Um. So it's really just that from the floor number where it looks way worse because that second half was bad. But, I mean, Georgia State was right there. You know, this was not a game that I felt like, oh, James Madison's another 20-point, you know, better team than Georgia State. No, Georgia Georgia State was in this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look at it, I don't remember the exact time on that. I guess we can just say the first 10 minutes of the second half is 22-8. James Madison was doing some quick math in my head plus 31 there in the 15 minutes between the two games that this two head-to-head series. The other stretch of time, Georgia State was playing competitively with James Madison. They just, you know, you can't erase that. You can't have those little lulls against a team that is 27 and 27-3, now 28-3, and because they're just, they've got that it about them that they can make those moments happen. Went a little bit of zone early, but I think, Jamie, you made them, Stop that because they were shooting him out of it. Terrence Edwards went crazy. He was 30 points in his hometown of Atlanta. Uh, And to what you were saying, getting to the line a lot is maybe an understatement for Georgia State. They were 32 free throw attempts, and they made 29 of them, 91%. The thing that hurt them was James Madison was making theirs down the stretch, too. James Madison ended up 17 of 21 from the line. Edwards was 10 of 10. And through all of that, it was a four-point game. The final minute, James Madison had the ball. All the attention, rightfully, goes to Edwards on the drive from that play because he had been just crushing Georgia State all night. And he kicks it to Raquan Horton, who hits the dagger three, seven-point lead in the final 30 seconds. And that was it. But you did force them to that point where they good team that has made a lot of winning plays down the stretch had to go to that bag late to escape Atlanta with a win. And it might be on your, you know, if if things go your way in first round against Pensacola, guess what? You're going to get a third crack at that team. And we've at least seen them over large stretches of their games with James Madison be competitive. And if they get a round three with them to be determined, if they cut out that moment where they just have it all go against them for five minutes, seven minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it might be, they've shown they can hang with them. And that's a really, really good team. And it was a good to see that a game after what was a pretty lackluster, non-energetic loss to Texas State. Getting that turnaround against James Madison feels important. And then you got to win on Friday, on Senior Day, to close things out against Marshall. A lot of similar things with the offense felt pretty crisp for the entire 40 minutes, except for a stretch there in the second half where Marshall cut into, a, I think, a 10-point lead because you just went cold there. Maybe it was up to like 15 or something. Yeah. What I remember, there was a 10-0 run that they got in the second half that tied it after it had been a 10-point lead. So I think you're right that it got bigger than that. The biggest lead in that game ended up being 12. Um, But kind of like what James Madison did on Wednesday, Georgia State withstood the Marshall runs, ended up with the lead late and held on, made enough plays. And, you know, you're going to see them real soon. TV, you know, later on this pod, we'll talk about that, but uh, it was played, I felt like on Marshall's terms, kind of up and down the floor, running gun a little bit, but the way that say was playing, I don't think they necessarily minded. <sighs>
1: I don't think they minded either, simply because Georgia State was hitting their shots. You know, I mean, they played really well in the first half. Um, it was pace was certainly uh, the name of the game this weekend. Uh, for I guess during the week because that's what the games were. Um, versus Sorry, we doing
0: weekends all year. Like just weekend is fine. For that's Wednesday fair. and Friday are <laughs> weekend. It's canon for the final week of the Sun Belt season. It's fine. <laughs>
1: You know, pace was the thing that really helped Georgia State be successful, I think. And, you know, no other game can really personify that like this one. I mean, the first half, they just really went after the basket or, you know, they would find good looks. And I thought that the offense was flowing really well. You know, Lucas Taylor had a really good game. You know, Dwayne Odom was he had a double double. Um, you know, thirteen points, ten assists. Seven Honestly, rebounds. I almost, was, I was about to say, I'm not sure changing you, you know, brother. I see that those seven rebounds. You know, um, so it's it's one of those things where I feel like the offense this weekend clicked in a way that it hadn't a ton lately. Um, and they, I mean. They did enough against Marshall. Like that game was funny only because it was kind of the reverse of what I've been saying about a lot of Georgia State games lately. You know, they, I didn't think they started off sh-
0: slowly. You know, they seemed like they started off strong, and then best in ages. Like, I I don't know yeah. the last one would have been, but like, yeah, like they were out of the gate and they were up early, and it's like, oh, they're just making everything exactly. I forget you, where they like got to, but it was like ten of thirteen that they started making, thir- and then four or four from three to start. It's like, oh. They're just ready to go today.
1: Yeah, they very clearly wanted to come away with a win. Um, And I like that they did enough to, you know, close that game. And I I give Marshall credit. Marshall, you know, was down 12, like you said, like that was Georgia State's uh, largest lead. Marshall just looked very out of sorts and like they were going to get run out of the gym very quickly. And Marshall came the hell back. So definitely want to give them some kudos and you know chide Georgia State's defense for allowing some of those some of those looks. A lot some of them you know they had good looks early and they weren't falling and just nothing was falling. And then some of their looks later on were still and good. Looks and turnovers. Falling.
0: There were some open live ball turnovers that led to some good routes for Marshall. That it's like gotta clean that up. I tried to give the team a little bit when in post game I asked Jonas is like there was a lot of energy. So like, are you more okay with those turnovers where it's coming from a place of like they're play? And he's like, no, He, he completely shut it down. He's like, I don't want any turnovers at all. But it was from a place of like, they were trying to make things happen. Whereas they were kind of lackadaisical when they were turning it over crazy against Texas State. So it came from a different part, but the 13 turnovers was another number that's a little bit higher than it's been. But on the flip side, 15 assists and kind of bared out. And I think the thing for me with the offense is, they were just taking the right shots and Marshall was coming out and running out on three point shooters. And so you had Tenari Lane and Lucas Taylor on quite a few occasions, pulling it down and running in and getting a shot from the mid range or getting a layup and getting a much better look than a contested three. And so when you look at the numbers, Georgia state made 27 to 44 from inside the arc and seven to 17 from outside the arc be 61% and 41% respectively. And the pur- pur- the proportion there is also good a lot more twos because they were getting a lot of good looks from inside the arc and they were making the shots to go along with that and it's why they ended up putting 82 in all of a sudden done on the on the scoreboard Exactly. You know, and obviously I can live with some
1: turnovers, you know, better than coach Hayes can, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I would rather them being able to push the tempo and continue to score and, you know, tighten up some of that and try not to lose that aggressiveness than when they're being tentative and hesitant and not really, you know, getting the ball actually through the basket.
0: I had mentioned it earlier. Del McGee got introduced there. That was the game that that happened at. And George State football came out in pretty good force in the student section. And I was remembering from my time as a student, during those glory years with Ron Hunter, you'd have guys like Will Lutz, Nick Arbuckle. Back at the sports arena, it was the little area behind the hoop that doesn't really... It's a lot bigger of an area now for seating. But they were certainly making their voices heard. And it did make me wonder if another part of this football hire is... You know, maybe they were just there because Dell was getting introduced and it was like, hey, go to the game, support our head coach, whatever. So we'll see if it you know, continues to play out in the next regular season, if football continues to make a presence. But I thought it was very welcome. Some trash talk directed certainly in, right at the Marshall bench at times. A lot of energy specifically going in their direction uh, in ways that maybe hasn't been there in other recent basketball games. But I think all good that it was there and if it is tying into a larger kind of synergy across sports across campus that Dell is going to bring, that's an area that, you know, quite frankly, coach Elliot didn't have a lot of time for and a lot of interest in. And that was another part of just the early time with Dell's head coach that maybe there's something changing there. And I think that is going to help for him as far as getting people at, at football games, because it's going to be putting that energy forward and getting it paid back in return. But Wanted to mention that. Um, also worth mentioning, we knew Brendan Tucker, Leslie and Carrie Jaden Turner were going to be honored for senior day. I don't think anyone really knew until the game notes came out that Dewan Odom was going to be taking part. Uh, he was honored for senior day as well. I asked him about it after the game, kind of from a point of view of like, is there any update to your future plans at Georgia State? And he didn't really give a committal answer understandably a little on the spot, but what he said, and I've got it here to redirect from is I have my mind set on something, but I'm still kind of thinking moving forward, got some decisions to make off the court and on the court. So I'm still thinking, so I don't really have an answer right now, but I just wanted to enjoy the moment. I've been in college for a while. So no matter what happens, as these guys say, I'm old, I act old, but I just wanted to enjoy the moment with my teammates. So I'm still trying to decide. And so I think hold off until we have some more finality there on like the, the broader discussion and obviously not being able to count on DeWan Odom for next year's team will change the, a lot of what, you know, it's going to mean you're going to need a new point guard. It's, it's going to mean a lot of things, but we should probably hold off on that until we have something final, but quote that is leaning me more to thinking this might be his last year at Georgia state. And so it was worth noting here on the pod and, more on that as we know more, and as he makes his actual final decision on that.
1: Yeah, I mean that'd be a huge loss, and you know won't go too far into that since it's not a loss yet. But you know it's always nice to celebrate the seniors and even the surprise among them. <laughs> you know, at at this rate, you never know really who's going to be a senior and you know sit for senior day, and who's not going to.
0: And if it is the last game he plays in the communication center. 13 seven and 10 feels like a very Dewan Odom game to end on in Atlanta uh kind of got everything on display with him as being the, the distributor of the offense getting to the rack and being just a tremendous guard at rebounding the basketball the other um uh, on the other side of things not a great end of the season for the women's basketball team uh, they lose seven uh, 97. 69 at Marshall on Tuesday, they lose 74-62 at Coastal Carolina on Friday. It means they lose their last 5 of the regular season, 6 of the last 7. They're 15 and 14, 9 and 9 in Sunbelt, and that means they will be the 8th seed in the tournament playing App State in the first game on Wednesday at 12:30 p.m., 11:30 a.m. central with the winner going on to play number 1 seed Marshall who has only lost one conference game this season, 23 and six overall record. So if you'd taken care of maybe either or both of those coastal Carolina games that against a team that ended up only winning five conference games, you probably get on that seven seed line and you're just the, the draw that you're getting against the Troy team that you've already beaten as the two seed is just infinitely better than like, it is just, it is what it is. And I think you you honestly, you got to worry about beating App State first. But just a, I would not have put any money on the idea that the women's team were going to have a lower seed than the men if you had asked me a month ago. It just, I, I don't know what happened. They just kind of lost what had been working for them for much of the conference season. But real rough close of the season for the women's team.
1: Real rough close. Um, and what makes it even rougher is... It's not like we're talking about losses against terribly good teams. You know, I mean, Marshall is good. Okay, I'll give them Marshall. All right. You know, but like Coastal Carolina, it's not a good basketball team. And they got swept. Like that's you know that's very and frustrating it might not be the right word necessarily but it's you know app state is right there around that same area as them but you know didn't look great in that game either so it's like i don't know what happened you know it, this was not a situation that was even possible to me a month ago where the women would get a lower seed than the men you know i mean I I think a month ago, you you know, you could say, all right, this is a team that,
0: you know, could be getting to, like, should. They were in the double-buy conversation, legitimately. And they had some tiebreakers that could have broke their way if they had been in that spot going up against teams like James Madison, who they beat twice, Troy, who they beat in their lone time playing them.
1: Like, I think if you before the Miami, Ohio game, I think we were, you know, at least like kind of looking like, OK, like this could potentially be a 20 win team. And I, I have no idea. Like, like I can see based on these box scores and based on watching, I can see what happened. The offense very clearly has died. Um, I'm not sure why or what um but it's is, has it is just very clearly been the issue because uh, you know they're struggling to sk- score in the the 60s now and this was an offense that was scoring in the high 70s earlier
0: yeah I guess the one thing you can say is they had it once maybe they can find it again and maybe your backs against the wall now it is officially lose and go home season now that you're the conference tournament and you know Georgia State beat up State 73-68 in Atlanta. They lost in Boone heavily, 93-67. Gave up, what, 14 from 33 from downtown in that game. So you at least think it's plausible that you don't give up that many threes and that kind of a percentage from three in this next game. And you've got not a week. You've got, what, five days to reset the mojo, get on a bus, go to Pensacola, and get ready to go. Um Like I say, I think you can't even really think about the marshal of it all. And that, yeah, if you do win, you've got the hardest draw imaginable in your next game. But just kind of get it back on track. And, you know, obviously, no matter what, when you lose the next time, it'll end your season and you end the season on a loss. But if you're at least ending on a one-game losing streak and you get a win over a team that's around you in the standings that you beat in one of the games you played them this year, feels a lot different than if you're talking about, yeah, close on a six game losing streak you're ending 15 and 15 after you had a chance to like you say challenge for maybe 20 wins even hide teens would have been more of a like they made steps this year but uh that's in front of them we're gonna have to see how it plays out early on wednesday believe me and jordan will be in transit to pensacola as that game is going on and so we will have that covered as well as the men's basketball will be on the ground we talked about them earlier. Marshall Thundering Herd, Again, Get ready for the exact same game you just saw because the 7-10 game in the men's side will be Georgia State as the higher or lower seed, whichever you call it, seven-seeded team, the home team in what is called a 8-30, tip, which I will not lie to our audience, it will take place later than that, almost assuredly. These tournaments always run long. So if you're watching in Atlanta, just get ready for kind of a late night there, watching Georgia State play their first game on the men's side. And yeah, I, I mean, my I, I saved at least a couple of things and didn't talk about it when we were talking about the game earlier. But my first takeaway is kind of like I just kind of expected to be just kind of a very, very similar game. Like, I think you're going to see both teams comfortable pushing the tempo, trying to just outscore the other. And obviously, you know, as you play these games right on top of each other, I feel like it's usually advantage the team who lost because there's probably something that happened in that game that went wrong that you look at. It's like, we can fix that and do this better seven days from now. But I kind of don't see it that way. Like I think it just kind of it played out the way it did and Georgia State just made more shots. Like I don't know that Marshall has any kind of inherent losers advantage in this one.
1: Yeah, I don't I mean, because if you think about it, there's a couple of things that you could say that Georgia State didn't do in their 8279 win that you know, that they usually do. I mean, they only shot eleven free throws, you know, there's seven of eleven, so the percentage looks bad, but you know, the numbers are a little bit low. Okay. But this is a team that usually shoots more than 11 free throws a game. Um Georgia State turned the ball over a ton, but it's not a team even, you know, against teams that they have been significantly worse than. It's not a team that turns the ball over a ton. Um and I'm not saying that Marshall isn't going to try to replicate, you know, keeping Georgia State off the free throw line and, you know, having them turn it over, but Outside of their, hey, don't let Lucas Taylor drop 26 points again and cover Tanari Lane when he's attempting his threes, I'm not sure that there is some sort of secret, you know, this didn't happen last week, so now we have to prevent it this time for them.
0: Yeah, certainly I think they're going to want to defend the post a bit better. Not Like DeWan was just getting free runs at the lane. Lucas Taylor got a few of those layups as well. But I'm sure they will look at that type that side of their defense and say, we've got to not allow 61% on twos. And that'll give them a shot. And, you know, looking at this team, we've talked about the potential of this team offensively for Georgia state, but they haven't lived in that percentage. So it is very plausible that the numbers will drop a little bit off there. And maybe they're going to have to find another way if they want to drop 82. The other side of things, and this is something that I you know, red ink circled lines around, you know, whatever you want to say. Georgia State needs an answer for Nate Martin because he was single-handedly a real force in that comeback because he finished with 16 points, 11 rebounds, nine offensive rebounds last Friday in Atlanta. And in the first game, he had 15 and 13 in Huntington. Him and Anna Chili Killen kind of turned the game around by just being real forces down low for the Thundering Herd. And so Georgia State, whatever it is, got to have a better answer for Martin, especially on the offensive glass, because last Friday, George said actually out rebounded Marshall 36, 35, but because of the 14 offensive rebounds, they gave up and the 16 second chance points as a result of those offensive rebounds, Marshall was able to hang around. And so whatever the antidote has got to be, that's going to be the biggest thing, even in a victory this last weekend that Georgia is going to want to correct. I think the thing that helps them out there. Is the way that Ed Namoko has taken strides and is being more playable? Is they've been playing him and Leslie together a lot. And there were some two big quote unquote lineups all through the year when it was Leslie and Jaden Turner. But I do think it's different when you've got Leslie and 610, 611 Ed out there, and he's been taking strides in how he's attacking the glass. And he's been part of the reason why they're getting more defensive rebounds. And it's been less of an issue than in recent weeks. But with Anna Chili Killen and Nate Martin and uh, Connor, number 41, who is also just kind of being annoying down low and getting those offensive rebounds and those putbacks. Uh, This is a team that's going to test you in that regard. And so you're going to have to come up with something different in round three a week later. If you want to come out with the win again, move on. And like I said earlier, winner of this game will play James Madison, the two seed, the same time or thereabouts the same time, two days later. And so I think if you're talking about you go out in a blaze of glory against the two seed who might end up winning the tournament, it would be completely different to losing in the first round to Texas state like last year and up with the 10 win team. And so I do think that getting through this test of playing the same team again, not insignificant. Like I think a win here would do a great deal of good. And as ever, if you're alive in the tournament, you're alive for that bid. And so it, you'd move around further down the line, and have a chance to continue to be, you know, see if that slipper is going to fit
1: to learning experience too, for coaches, you know, if, if they were to move on, I mean, last year's entrance didn't go well. Um, last year's season, we know didn't go well. And I, I don't know when we will talk a moratorium on the 2023, 2024 Georgia state men's basketball season. Um, They were improvements, you know, it it didn't look great there for a second, but there were certainly improvements. You know, I think we'll have to decipher whether or not they were enough improvements, but there certainly were improvements. So getting a win in Pensacola when you are the favorite sounds good to me.
0: And given that late tip and we don't know when it's going to end and everything, full transparency, not exactly sure when this will be, but we are planning a post game pod for, the women' the women's first game and the men's first game, it is possible to end up being sometime Friday before you know potential women's game against Marshall. We'll have to iron all that out, and we'll let you know in the Thursday night podcast Twitter feed as we determine all of that type of stuff. But we'll leave basketball for now. A couple of really important games coming up in Pensacola. Look forward to being there, following it all. Last agenda item for this week on the podcast: we've got the baseball team. They're currently still in progress of their final game of the weekend, but a good weekend, no matter what way you slice it. They are in Cullowee against Western Carolina. Their Friday game was weathered out. They will not remake it up, but they had a doubleheader scheduled anyway for the Saturday, and they swept that 5-3 and 14-7. In game one, you got Rob Evans going six innings, and Brady Jones closing it out with a three-inning affair. And then on the Game two, they absolutely unloaded offensively as they have been one to do the last couple of seasons under Brad Stromdahl. Will Mize had two homers in game two and he had another one in game one, three home run day. They roll in game two. And as we talk right now, we have almost delayed and filibustered all the way to have an actual result to talk about. Have not fully done so. We will be a little bit delayed from you listening to this, but they are up 12-5 in the top of the eighth in the final game with a real chance to get a sweep here. And reset the vibes from what had been a rough start to the season. And reset the vibes indeed.
1: Um, the offense this weekend specifically, it's been good. But I don't even want to talk about that because I care more about the pitching. Look, man, you know, it's college baseball, so but it's at the end of the day, it's still baseball. You know, anytime you can go out there as a starting pitcher, go six innings, give up only one run. You know, Rob Evans went out there in game one of that doubleheader
0: yesterday and did his bleep. More job. important stat combined between them three walks, two hits by pitches. That was. That was literally
1: the next thing I was going to say, because the thing that has been such a big problem for Georgia State pitching this year, um, and the other way kind of the offense sometimes, is they're just getting too many guys on base. They are giving up way too many hits. They are giving up way too many walks. Three walks in game one of the double hitter. Three walks. You know, like it sounds crazy, but I'm almost more excited about the three walks like than just the three runs given up, you know, because I mean, even in the the second game of the doubleheader, they gave up what 12, 12, sorry, no, eight hits and then five walks, obviously seven earned runs. But, you know, like that for this team has been too much traffic. The bats showed up in game two of the doubleheader. So it was fine. And a lot of that damage came before, you know, Western Carolina really got going. Um, but it, it's just, it's so easy for teams to claw their way back into games. If you're just letting guys get on base a ton and, you know, so far through this series, it seems as if the pitching has kind of stopped the bleeding a little bit.
0: Yeah. nice to see that on the road as well. Um, they actually had less men left on base than Western Carolina, despite winning by seven runs. You know, 11 hits, three home runs, eight walks for the Dorsey State offense, and five left on base to Western Carolina's six. So taking care of their opportunities when they had them at a better rate than Western Carolina, and like they say, just blitzing them. And that also happened in the game that is currently in progress. They're up 12-5. They were up 6 nothing real quick, and you had a home run from – Ryan Dio and Jesse Donahoe got a home run as well. Uh, Another game, you got five walks. Only three as a pitching staff so far through seven innings pitched. And on Saturday game two, Ross Norman and Schofield, two freshmen, covered six and a third of the innings for you. And yeah, they gave up some of those runs. You know, They gave up seven in that stretch, but it's two freshmen really cutting their teeth and bridging a whole game, basically. And then you had Duncan Lutz. Two and two thirds, no runs, no walks, five Ks. It, I don't know how you can kind of mix this all together for the best benefit of this team. But if you're getting that from Duncan Lutz and you get Brady Jones bridging with three innings and Davis Chastain in kind of a long-ish middle relief role, that feels like where the strength of this pitching staff has been. And it's about like getting Evans and getting Tyler Roche to help get to those guys to where they're pitching in leader innings and not pitching the middle third of the game. That happened this weekend along with the bats coming back. And it's still, you know, probably the worst team you've played so far because, you know, you've got Seton Hall took two or three from you and looks pretty decent. Uh, New Orleans took two or three from you, maybe about on a par with uh, Western Carolina. And then the other game that happened this week, Georgia Tech, um, lost 10-0. Drew Burris hit four home runs. He's a freshman. I don't know that you can chalk much up to that one, except to say like Georgia Tech and Georgia are good this year. And Burris is going to do stuff like that. Although maybe not four home runs in a game levels of that to a lot of teams until he is draft eligible and then probably past that as well. And so as things go now, this game will wrap up. Still not over by the time we have finished talking about it, but it is still 12-5 and you will be able to tell us the final score. We're going to listen to this tomorrow. Uh, Mercer at home on Tuesday and then a four-game set scheduled on the weekend against Army. Another good team in Army. They've been kind of a fixture in regionals the last couple of seasons. So you're getting a test at home, but five games and when you've got a losing record, what that means is you got a chance to turn that into a a winning record at home by the time this week's over.
1: Yeah, and Mercer's going to be tough. They lost their first game of the year in, uh, I think, 10 innings, um, and they've won nine straight. So, like, that's that's, that's going to be a, a tough game. Um, Army's record isn't as good. Um, I think it's just been a matter of the sequencing. Like, I still think they will be good as Georgia State just scored again. Um, so, but it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting week of baseball because I think Georgia State has the ability to at least hang in these five games they they have started to play better i will say
0: yeah and i mean the good feelings roll into the next game just as much as the bad feelings do when things aren't going well the one thing i would say about the midweek game against mercer mercer like just don't get shut out and lose by double digits because like there is a piece of it like yes georgia and georgia tech are good but the midweek has not been a particularly successful competitive endeavor so far. And so it makes sense given pitching has been the issue that your depth of pitching would certainly be tested in those games, uh, but got to get something going on the midweek, because as we've talked about a couple of times on here, racking up those midweek games as the season goes on is going to be the difference between, you know, the win total that George state can realistically shoot for and where they end up. As I take a deep breath, as we have talked about a lot of stuff on this week. Real newsy pod. Thank you all for listening. We will be back at a time to be determined later to talk about the first rounds of the basketball game and the basketball Sunbelt tournament. And as any other news comes up, we will certainly cover those bases as well. But thank you for listening. Have a good week. And folks, it's March. Cue the RJ Hunter clip. That's a great way to end this one.
1: 10 seconds. Not RJ Hunter. RJ. Gets the ball up, not a shot, back to Hunter for three, (laughs) good! RJ hits a three!
0: 2.6 seconds to go! Ron Hunter fell out of his chair on the other side, Panthers now lead it!